Hello, everyone, and here we are again. Welcome to episode four of From Survivor to Thriver. Mark Fernandes here on Zoom from Stomass Village, Colorado, and we're going to welcome in my co-host, Eric DeRosa. Eric, how are you today? I'm good. Good to see you, Mark, from uh, across uh, the creek here as we uh, still exist Over under Brush Creek. <laughs> Over Brush Creek, as we still exist under uh, Level Red here in Pitkin County. So I have a question for you, Mark. Because uh, I know you have a, I'm going to call it a love-hate relationship uh, with the bike, uh, as some some of our listeners today may know. Um, so I want to ask you, uh, I know you prefer flats and descending at high rates of speed. Uh, climbing is not necessarily your forte um, or what you most desire. You're being uh, very kind. It takes forever <laughs> for me to get my fat ass up anything. <laughs> a, a, a Clydesdale, if you will. But <laughs> if you were to just guess, in a single ride, what do you think is the most vertical you've ridden in one in one? So attack? it's interesting. I actually, I was looking back the other day because I was actually looking at all of our skinning exploits last season to be like, oh, like how much climbing have I done, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I had a couple of 7,000 vert days skinning. And okay. I actually went back and there was a day that I did Ashcroft and then yeah. I did part of the spokes of Snowmass. So I climbed okay. like 7,400 or 70. So it was actually just slightly longer than I had skinned. It was just under 8,000 feet. Cool. And I can tell you, I hated that day. <laughs> so our guest today uh and and i'm excited you know and as a former uh, masters uh road bike racer cyclocross racer uh here uh in colorado uh i'm nowhere near uh the level of of the guests we have today uh but Joining us today uh, is Wyatt Galky, uh, who is a Colorado-based pro Cat 1 USA Crit Series racer. Um, this past October, uh, I want everybody to just kind of sit in their seats for a second. This past October, uh, as a fundraiser for the Go4 Graham Foundation, which Wyatt will talk more about during our podcast, he attempted what uh, is named the Everesting Challenge. And a lot of people uh, during COVID uh, with the inability to race this year have been trying the Everest Challenge. And what the Everest Challenge is for those of you out there who don't know, it's in a single ride. So it's single attempt um, by riding the exact same climb. Uh, so it's, you can't pick a series of climbs. It's the same hill. In his case, it was Lookout Mountain down in Golden. Uh, you climb the altitude of Everest, which is 29,029 feet. To give you an idea, the longest in, in the queen stage of this year's Tour de France, uh, the racers climbed just over 14,000 feet in the queen stage. So that would be doing more than twice the queen stage in the 2020 Tour de France. Um, so Wyatt, what is wrong with you, dude? Seriously. Now I know why we have you on the mental health podcast. <laughs> so, so with that backdrop, I'm going to turn it over and introduce Wyatt Galky. Well, what's going on? How Great to have you on the show, Wyatt. Thanks for having me. Uh, where, where are you joining us from tonight? Um, I am back home visiting my father in Shine, Wyoming, getting uh, some family stuff done this weekend. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, so we're going to jump right in, Wyatt. If there's anything you want to add as we go, please just you know interject. But Yeah, you, you, know. you guys hyped that up a lot. I mean, I, I didn't get quite 29,000 feet. I'm going to be honest with you guys. Well, no, but that was your, no, he said attempt. He said attempt. That was what, did your, yeah, that was, what did you get to, you maniac? I think 16,000 before 16. it started snowing and raining at the top. Well, and I was going to say, lookout in October is no, it's no It easy. was a gorgeous day. So I started at 4 a.m. and I was like, shit, you know, like it's going to be super cold. And it yeah. ended up being super nice at four o'clock in the morning. Um, well, and I think the other thing too, Wyatt, uh, just for our listeners, um, so Lookout Mountain. Now, I, I raced Lookout back when it was a hill climb. Um, and obviously racing it once, you know, it was treacherous. I think I did it in maybe 22 minutes, um, which is, you know, for for an old guy in the Masters category, it's okay. Yeah. But, um, you know, 
the I forget the vert on lookout. It's I think it's eleven hundred feet. So eleven hundred yeah. feet. Yeah. So we're, yeah. So we're talking about you know 23 laps. 20, 23 laps up Lookout Mountain. Um, yeah, which is not you know kind of a six to eight percent grade if I remember correctly. Yeah, right. and, and like big pins. Yeah, big if I would do pins. it, if I would do it differently, I would do something steeper, like a magnolia or like a. Um, can't remember it's one lock morton did just to, just to get oh, it yeah, quicker yeah. <laughs> yeah just because like the descent takes too long like it took me eight hours to get 100 miles and sixteen thousand feet of vert yeah no that makes sense is it, i mean it would have been a 16 hour day i got halfway through it exactly by the way i just puked in my mouth even thinking about <laughs> it so <laughs> um so it was, yeah, I mean, yeah yeah all the most all, i've done is is i think the most i've done is uh, seven, just over seven thousand on on Evans racing Evans, and yeah. and every time you know my eyes rolled back in my head, and I I thought I'm never doing this again. So well, and and I was thinking about it, hearing you say that's what you did in that many hours. The day I was talking about where I climbed just under eight thousand, that was like fourteen hour day. I stopped for a coffee. <laughs> I had lunch somewhere. I actually took my bike shoes off and went for a little walk in the grass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're still getting it done, right? Like that's that's all that matters, right there. Yeah, no, I'm I'm stubborn as shit, and right. and Eric could share with you, like while I'm on the bike climbing, you don't want to be anywhere near me because I will swear and tell you the worst things I've ever thought about you while I'm doing it. But I don't stop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you're the reason I'm on this ride. You're a fucking piece of shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm coming off this. That's thing. right. Whose idea that's was this? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He climbs. He's he's and if if he's listening today, our good friend Mark is just a tad bit slower than Troy Reynolds. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> Troy's, Troy's gonna be like, oh man, I'm we'll faster than that. So come on. Yeah, especially with all the barbecue Troy's been eating in uh, this year with COVID. So, which is so, a lot, has <laughs> Why? What? Uh, besides the fact that Eric picked up the phone and called you and asked. Uh, why are you joining us today? Why, why have you decided it's time to talk and kind of open up and tell your story to the to the larger world? Um, help get the word out there. I think a lot more people need to realize that this is a much more common issue than people think. You know, Amen, brother. I think, Amen. Of, I think yep. there's a ton of people, and myself included, for the longest time that thought you were the only, kind of the only one of just it is this weird feeling like a piece of shit and for no for no fucking reason well and 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 why what you speak to is such an important thing right because one of the things that unfortunately whether you're suffering from anxiety depression ocd or any of the ways that mental health can kind of present isolation is always one of the things you 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 essentially feel isolated in your own head and you're convinced that you're the only person this has ever happened right. to and, and and one of the things eric and i really want to bring out there is look nobody's story is the same but there are so many similarities to how this presents, how it feels, um, and you bring up a great point. And so when when did you get to the point where you realized you weren't alone? Like, was there someone you first spoke to or told, or did someone ask you like, hey, are you okay, Wyatt? Like, what's going on? Like, how'd that present? That's a good question. I, I'm not, probably, honestly, within the last two years. Okay, so it's been very recent for you. Yes. Um, just in terms of, I think my really good friend, Gabe Herrera, who's also my roommate, I, I've lived with him for almost going on two years now. Um, help, he's, he's, he's a super affectionate person. And when it comes to anybody outside of like my partner, it's, I have a hard time like being cuddly and like hugging people and when something's wrong, I have a hard time going to somebody about it. Um, and he kind of, when I was started living with him, he kind of noticed and caught on to like me not being normal per se, or like acting my usual. I would kind of yeah. seclude myself and act like a hermit and like avoid people and not talk to people and just try not to have run-ins with people. So Wyatt, did you not realize, did you not realize you weren't okay until he brought it up or did you realize it, but you just because you thought it was just your own problem, you didn't think that it was something that you could fix. Right. I thought the latter. I thought it was my own problem, just something that um, you, you just 
you couldn't fix, you know? Um, I'm sorry. I'm, and, and I'm truly sorry to hear that you felt so alone. And, and no, I'm it, saying that it, not to make you feel better. I just, and, no. and for everyone listening out there, I just, I know there's tons of people out there who are going to tell that same part of that story that you're telling right now. And it crushes me and I hope we can help. Right. And thank you. That's probably one of the biggest reasons I'm doing this is to help that. What are, what are the first question you asked me? That's the answer right there. Yeah. And, and one of the, the things I'm really curious about why, because, you know, in, in the first episode, you know, when I told my story, um, you know, obviously I was younger than you are now at the time. And, uh, and so one of the things for me uh, was also, you know, I thought it was my problem. Um, you know, I didn't want other people to find out. I didn't want to burden other people. Um, did you feel that there was a big weight on your shoulders? You know, I talk about kind of having a facade, like almost being two people, one person out in public, the big, the, the smiley, funny guy, and then behind the scenes kind of, you know, retreating and being more reclusive so that people didn't really see what was happening on the inside. Um, no, I don't necessarily feel two-faced. Um, I kind of put, I kind of mean mug it. Like if, if I'm in a mood and like, or having an episode, I don't fucking talk to me is like, um, you can ask people at work yesterday. I, I mean, I told you guys earlier when we were, before we started recording, like I was having a rough week just in terms of, am I ever gonna get to race this year? You know, dealing with that and dealing with trying to train and being motivated to train, which I'm super motivated to train. It's just, what the fuck is the point? You know, I'm sitting here putting my career that I want to do eventually on hold just so I can go race and do this thing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating. Um, and the whole COVID thing, you know, relating to that. And, um, so why, when you so, speak about mean mugging, I'm going to dig in a little bit on this. Um, yeah. And I'm going to give you my impression of what I think it is. And if it's on, say it or not, because yeah. there's probably people out there like, what does he mean by that? But I'm guessing it's just, it, you know, it may not be a facade, right? It's real, but it's this, it's, it's essentially, you're putting up a mask and a protection right. uh, to keep people it's, out. Yeah. People that know me know that I'm super talkative and outgoing and I crack a lot of jokes. And I'm just like talking on stuff. Um, and when I mean mug, I, I don't talk. I don't talk to anybody. I try to avoid people. Um, I try to avoid confrontation with anybody as much as I can. Confrontation meaning just any sort of uh, conversation. So when you're, when you're moving towards that, like, how do you, do you feel that coming on? Do you feel that like rock bottom sort of feeling happening or all of a sudden it just kind of overcomes you and you feel defeated by it? It's just kind of, it's all of a sudden it's yeah. like, you know, you, so, you deal, yeah. I do, I deal with it every single day. Sure. You know, it's always like in the back of my mind, like, Hey, Hey, but some days it's just like clicks and it's just like, Holy shit. Like this is a real issue. Like, what if and since, or like and there's a little bit of anxiety on top of it but i don't mm -hmm. i try to control that as much as i can just because it's anxiety is just your brain running a miles 100 miles an hour while your feet are trying to catch up you know and that's yeah. i think people i think the more people that could understand that the better it's just easier said than done sometimes and i was going to bring this up a little bit later but you actually i think gave us a really good uh, a, gave me good lead in um, this whole COVID thing. Um, you know, obviously Mark and I, you know, teach skiing up here in Snowmass. Um, we've seen our winter completely change. Um, obviously, mountain biking for me this summer was a lot different with my client base. But for you, as an athlete, um, what what has it been like? Um, and let's starting with 2020 um, to train throughout, you know, and, and for people that don't know, bike racers usually start training, you know, right around this time of the year, um, even though it's cold outside, uh, riding indoors, riding outdoors. What was it like to put in, you know, a, a couple of serious blocks of training? Um, then with the uncertainty around the race season coming and going and then things finally being canceled. Um, and then, and now the outlook onto 2021, which is you're, you're back training again. And once again, things are kind of up in the air as to, you know, is there going to be a race season or not? Yeah, I, 
I had a really, really good 2019 season. Um, I started the year off winning a couple Cat 2 races, doing well at the Oklahoma Pro-Am Classic, um, starting the breakaway at Tulsa Tough in the 1-2 field Friday night, you know, leading out the last 12 laps. You know, just super awesome season. Um, going to U23 Nats, doing pretty okay there. Um, getting my Cat 1 upgrade, getting a guest ride spot with Fave, who was at the time a D1 uh, USA crit team and finishing out the season doing stuff like that. Um, and racing with my good friend, Jake McGee at, uh, gateway cup. And, you know, I was talking to primal Audi Denver over through August, uh, Matt Eberly, who was running the team then mm-hmm. came to yep. me and was like, Hey, I think we're going to try to go D one next year. If you're interested, let me know. I was like, I'm definitely interested if you guys go D one. And Matt was like, well, we're going D1 a few months later. And I signed a contract and I was like, shit, I got to start training, you know, December. 4th, <laughs> you know? And, you know, cause you're racing against like these huge names that have been doing it for years. Like Daniel Holloway's going, you know, I was supposed to go to the Olympics this year. You know, you're yep. racing against dudes like that. And I work a full-time job, like right. just the huge space it covers, you know, you, you got to bust your ass. And, you know, I, you know, December 1st comes around, you know, you get a month or two of going out, having a few too many beers and, you know, going to the club and partying a little bit. But after that, it's it's game face and, you know, you, you suffer on the trainer, it snows. And you know, we, we went to the first USA crit, which is the preseason crit in Birmingham. Um, and like almost all of us that went down there flew together. And Cyrus Pyro, who is on the team, drove the team van from Denver all the way down to Birmingham, Alabama by himself. I think I'm one go to the dude's fucking nuts. Um, <laughs> we, I, I do shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> and dude, we literally got there and they forced the, the USA Chris series forced us to get there a day early. And, you know, we were at the grocery store because there's like all these media stuff. They want to do all the recordings of the right. uh, yep. shots and foot photography and like all that stuff. And we're sitting in the grocery store waiting for our host housing to tell us that we can go. And Matt, everybody's getting a haircut and we're sitting there in the th- uh, van with our thumbs up our ass, just twiddling our thumbs. And we get this email from USA Crits. It's like, everything's canceled. COVID's, you know, taking over. And it's like March, like shit's hitting the fan. Yep. yep. Like, fuck. Our, our, our D-Day was March 14th. What was March what 14th. Was that? It was probably around there. I think yeah. um, March, I think honestly the race was to be March 14th. Yeah, it yeah. was the Saturday. Yep. Yeah. And so it was sat- it was announced on Saturday, but the fourteenth is when it all yeah. stopped. And yeah. like race got canceled, all media stuff got canceled, and we're all like literally every single USA crit team just flew into town today just for them to cancel this. And no offense to USA crits. I mean they did the best they could. They had no idea. Right. None of us did. It's just the magnitude of oh shit, this is a real thing. You know? So, you know, moving forward from that. Wyatt, you know, here we are almost at a year, right? We're at, you know, almost 11 months from that. How do you feel like you're managing? I mean, I, I, you know, we've brought this up and talked about it. We know how difficult, you know, this is for anyone, but someone already struggling with mental health. How are you doing? What are you doing to take care of yourself? It's, it's become the new normal, right? Like you can't tell me you guys are like somewhat cohesive with what's happening. Like, you know, it's just like, yeah, whatever. Not at all. Day now. No, like, I mean, I, I, I'll i be honest. <laughs> I would much rather be racing. But, I mean, it's just like you wake up, put a mask on, you go to work, you do your thing, screw off, you go home, you train, and it's just like, you know, you hope for a better future or a vaccine to come out that's universal or better spread, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of how I've been dealing with it. But that kind of wears away on me a little bit of I'm just sitting here doing wasting my time trying to train and race and it's probably not going to happen next year um i it's not very public right now but i'm i have a really good opportunity to go to holland and race in the netherlands for three months uh, and to be honest with you that's probably not going to happen like yeah i that's that's where my mind bounces back and forth like people ask me like hey you still think you're going to go to holland and i, was, I tell them like do you want the optimistic side of me or do you want like debbie downer like because it's not going to happen, but 
Like I've got my passport, I've gotten my UCI license, I've gotten everything I need to make this happen. It's just COVID's probably not going to let it happen. And yeah, I, I kind of got on another tangent there from your conversation or your question, but yeah. No, 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 no. that's yeah. this is how we expect this to go, and. Um, yeah. And I, I, Eric is honestly over complimentary of me, but I'm actually really good at kind of like shaping the conversation as we go. That's, that's what I'm here for. Cool. Um, and, you know, listening to you kind of talk about that um, makes me think of another question I'd love to hear you talk about, which is, you know, you talk about not having essentially that understanding or the reality of, of what was going on in your own brain. How did you overcome the stigma of it becoming a, a your problem and then moving on to be like, oh, no, this is something people struggle with and I'm going to need help. I need to call a therapist. I need to to do something to kind of make myself whole. How did you how did you what was your process for that? That happened this winter. OK, um, I was at so, you know, it was like September, like early October. Uh, maybe not. Maybe it was later. I think it was after the Everest thing. So I was not training. Um, I have some time off the bike, you know, I'm not really riding every day. I really don't want to, um, you know, I, I have Fridays off with the job I have now. So I was, I hit up my good friend who does some contracting stuff and he's building this mansion outside of Golden, Colorado. Um, and, you know, I go work with him on Fridays and it'd be like a 7am to like a 3pm type of thing. We drink some beer and hang out. He's a good bike racing friend of mine, uh, David Almazon. Um, he, uh, we we went and got lunch and we started drinking a couple of beers at lunch and obviously we went back to work and work did not get done um and we went to uh teammate his teammate's house uh melvin and uh started making some tacos and you know, a couple people came over you know not too many covid and everything um we're having a good time and i uh I text Allie, who is um, my partner, and I was like, hey, you want to come over and have some tacos with David and Melvin? You know, say hi. And sure. We can pick her up and came back. And, you know, we're doing that whole thing. And um, my father calls me. And, you know, we're out back. It's like, it was like an 85 degree day in like October, which is unheard of. And, you know, so I'm out, you know, walking around the grass talking to my dad on the phone. We're talking about, um, the country music awards and how shitty the new country artists are <laughs> how we miss people like willie nelson and uh george jones and uh alan jackson and all those classics and uh you know i don't remember exactly what came up i think it came up with like racing and like the lack of and like i don't know what i'm going to do next year if i don't have racing and you know it helps me out a lot and i started breaking down emotionally and he's like what the hell's going on and it's like you know i i really don't know what i'm gonna do if i don't race next year like like it's gonna be an issue um it helps me that much like just traveling the atmosphere meeting the people um bashing handlebars going you know 35 miles an hour around a corner in the middle of the fucking night it's as dumb as something you can do and that's the attraction to it to me is the adrenaline part i think Right. And, you know, I kind of told him about my attempts and he was very, very upset to hear that. And I'm crying and everybody's moved into the, to the sunroom by this point. So it's just me outside and Allie's doing her thing. She, she's awesome. She, you know, she can talk to anybody. She's taking care of herself, talking to people, let me give him, giving me space. And she eventually comes back outside and is like, the hell's going on? Cause it's been like an hour at this point. Yeah. And she's like, what the hell's going on? And like, I'm teary-eyed and she can tell something's wrong immediately. And the look on her face broke my heart. Like, like just, I, yeah, that, that hurt really bad. And she, uh, she's like, what's going on? I was like, I'll talk to you about it later. And, um, finally got the phone with my dad and eventually, and eventually told my dad that I promised to see somebody that night and then talked to Allie about it. And Allie wanted me to promise her that I talked to somebody about it too. And about a week later, I reached out to um, Taylor Ross, who helps run GopherGram, um, who also works for Primal, the company. Um, and it's just an all-around swell dude. And I reached out to him. I was like, hey, man, like, kind of had a heart-to-heart with my dad and everybody. And, like, 
I think this is the route I need to take and find a therapist, which I fucking hate therapists. I really do. <laughs> I hate I hate the idea of having to pay somebody to listen to your bullshit and pretend to be your friend. Like that's what bothers me the most. Um and so Hey, uh, can I can I interject with just a yeah. uh, a small PSA? Yeah, they're not our friends, and they don't even have to pretend. <laughs> <laughs> they obviously care a lot, right? But like, <laughs> that's how my brain works. Is like no, I'm no, no, and I get it. Why? And the, and the only reason why I'm saying this is I I have similar issues in different ways and can be super challenging um, to my therapists, and sometimes on yes. purpose. But I think the important thing is as much as we rely on our network of our friends and family, we need that outside observer. We need someone who doesn't have any skin in the game except to try to help us. Right. Um, and and, and I, I, I don't disagree with you. I just, from a, from a helping other people standpoint, I have to say that. <laughs> no, 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 no. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this all the way around. So like, I'm not. No, like, I know. No. So, oh, yeah. Um, and so like for the last, since then, you know, since I talked to Taylor, I've been seeing a therapist about once a week and it's okay and like if that's definitely something that helps you out that's definitely something you should do i much rather prefer a group meeting or like a group zoom call um i find that helps me out immensely more because those people are there for the same reason you're there and you know you might connect with one or two people there and really care about that person and likewise with you being there um, and I find that are, are you still doing some group therapy as well, or, or at least like a support group or something like that? Yes. So I Great. had one Monday night. Excellent. So I had uh, a could you share a little bit about like, you know, had, you talked about how that helped you, but how you found it and, and why that works for you. I had a Zwift race Monday and I was like, shit, I'm late. I gotta, I gotta hop on a zoom and like, like immediately went from one to the other without changing. <laughs> it was disgusting. Um, <laughs> and I found that I was talking to a friend of mine from the pros closet when I used to work there. Um, his name is Tom Gosling and he connected me with these zoom meetings. That's been helping his wife out. And I was like, huh, I might have to check that out. And my dad kind of mentioned something like that too, because that's something that helped him out too. When, cause he was a police officer for a number of years, you know, I'm sure he's seen some shit that he doesn't told me about that fucked them up pretty good right yeah no and they um most law enforcement and even doctors and it's it's interesting because if you're not exposed to it, a lot of us don't realize this but many professions who deal with either trauma or high level stress situations actually have built in group therapy as part of their process you know and like and so many right go ahead it's yeah. it's such an important part of their work because you know, being a firefighter or being a doctor or being a police officer, you have to have such a clear head, you know, when, you know, that you, when you just saw some dad smashing his baby's head and, you know, the, the, right. the call before you gotta, you can't, you can't be thinking about that. Yeah. You can't tell you it's, yeah. it's going to fuck you up. And so yep. you can't expect that. Yeah. And, and so, full disclosure, I grew up in a house, you know, with a father who was a cop. My brother has gone off to be a cop. Like my roommate is a cop. He starts, fuck, on the 15th. He just got oh, no into Aurora Police Department, which is fucking awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> somehow, somehow, as Mark knows, I, I'm kind of like the black sheep of uh, the family. I've, I somehow found myself onto Wall Street. Not sure how. <laughs> glad, I, glad I eventually left yeah. um, to do something. Bending the rules fun, instead but... of enforcing them, Eric? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> this whole GameStop thing. You need to let me know when this thing is going on again. <laughs> yeah, I want to make some money. On the GameStop Reddit, Eric. Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> but I also want to say before we go further, thank you um, for for divulging what you have, why, and you know we're we're all glad you're here um, with us today. Um, you know, I know it's a difficult topic for any of us to talk about but you know you know and and you know i'm sure you know ali and your dad and your family um and you know the greater you know colorado bike community who you know all shares a a strong relationship and and a love of racing with you so i'm you know we're all thankful that you're you're on the zoom call with us right now so i i really appreciate you guys having it i think one it helps with my own 
mental state and two hopefully it helps at least one other person that's that's and i know it's probably helping you guys too because i mean as a collective unit we're all making trying to make a difference at least yeah i you know it's not overstating it when it's literally like if it if it stops one person from making an attempt or heals one relationship like that's enough you know and 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 this is a form of therapy in itself yep excuse me so it's yeah i get it so besides this and some of the group therapy and the regular therapist who i'm sure will be glad to know you hate her or him (laughs) (laughs) he knows and she she supports that she understands but but uh besides that what what are you doing to you know to kind of manage your mental illness and, and and do your best to thrive in this really difficult environment this is going to sound really weird, but I really, no, I'm going to love it. Hit me. I really, <laughs> really like suffering. Yeah. Um, that's, I think that's why I like racing so much. You know, there's a chemical component of that, right? right? Like, okay. yeah. It's just I mean, a dump of dopamine. It's the, it's the trait of back when we were running from lions back in Africa. You right. Know? Yeah. You know, it, um, it's a fight or flight type of thing when you're racing or suffering like that it it, it it fuels you up and i think in modern society the reason why so many people have so many issues is they don't get that release well yeah. and it's something that my therapy brought up a lot i mean i i enjoy high risk behavior i drive way too fast i ski way too fast um I, my background's in performance feeling, i was an actor alive yep yep and the problem is is in those quiet spaces when people like us, uh, us thrill seekers and dopamine fiends, um, when that goes away um, and our lizard brain decides to activate in moments where there is no reason for that to happen. Um, I learned way more about the amygdala than I probably ever needed to know. Um, <laughs> but, but it's actually helped me manage my anxiety and manage my depression and my manic episodes to understand um, that my brain is actually trying to save me and react to something that doesn't exist. Right. And um, the moment when my therapist who she knows I drove her crazy and she drives me crazy too. And I looked at her and said, so I'm crazy. My brain doesn't work right. And she goes, no, you're not crazy. Your brain works, but there's this fear or something going on that, you know, the reaction does not match the situation. She's like, it doesn't mean you're crazy it means that those things aren't coinciding. And, and to hear you say that and share that, I think it's so important because so many people, you know, I, one of my favorite stories, and, it, and it's such a tragedy in my own life, I was a huge fan of him as a person and as an artist, but, you know, Robin Williams succumbing and committing suicide and, you know, all the joy and all the passion and everything he did in life and people don't understand it and they don't realize that it's actually just a function. It's just this, the flip side of the same coin you know, um, and it's really important. And thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Um, the same person for me is, and you guys may or may not know him, but Mac Miller, um, he passed away from a drug overdose, but like, if you listen to his music, he's, he blatantly like overdosed on purpose. Right. I truly believe that. And that, that, that was heartbreaking for me. I really enjoyed his music and I really enjoyed just his character and yeah. 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 And and Mark and I play, yeah, we play a bunch of music. You know, it's, you know, it's the 27 club, right? It's yep. uh, Kurt yep. Cobain and, what I'm talking and, about. And, and Amy Winehouse for me, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's that same. And, and I just wanted to elaborate on one point, uh, you know, I raced two seasons of cyclocross and um, you, you, you bring I'm up the sorry. words, <laughs> you bring up the word suffering. And if, if my coach, she's still, I still call her my coach and very close friend, uh, Rebecca Gross is probably yep. listening to the podcast uh, today, and and she is probably like the closest thing to a non-licensed therapist that I've ever had. So she knows all my battles and demons. Um, but you, you know, and 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 I'd love you just to elaborate on it a little bit more because I know what I know what suffering meant to me when I was racing cross, and um, my wife, you know, she'd watch, and after an hour, you know, you know coming across the, the finish line and I'd be drooling and the bike would be on the ground and I'd be, you know, the worst passed out. 
passed out in a heap. And, and all I kept thinking about for that last half hour was like, I just can't believe I'm going to do this again next weekend for two days. Um, and then as soon as I was coherent again, you know, eating a donut and, um, a beer. you know, and drinking a beer and I'd look at her and I say, I can't wait to come back. That was down fucking awesome. to, yeah. Right. So if you could just elaborate a little bit on what that suffering it's... like is for you and, and what it means and, and maybe a little bit about not being able to suffer in that group setting during COVID. It's, it's the fact of like, I think it's a male thing too. Like, I'm not saying females aren't competitive. I just, from the, just, it's programmed in our brains of like, to be dominant over other males. Like, that's just, that's just how it is. And when you're racing like that, it's the, fuck you why the hell are you doing that i'm gonna come over the top of you and you know you know make you suffer more just stuff like that and i I, it's a natural release is really what i think it comes down to as having that natural release as an animal that we are well there's tons of books and movies i mean you know right probably the most famous book that and movie that people would relate this to um, is Fight Club, right? And that sense of that baseness and, you know, the, the sort of primal piece. And and unfortunately, it's one of the things that often leads to mental illness is that we are not, our brains are not necessarily wired to cope with the world we currently live in. No, and like technology and social media, like we're not meant for that, even though like I'm not no saint. I, I, I spend way too much time on Facebook. <laughs> Instagram and <laughs> we I, all do. I, I do. I, I know it, and it pisses me off, yep. and it probably doesn't help. But I love the gram. I'm all about the gram. And but like, it, it's just it's not natural. Like it's no. not. And so, you know, if if you guys haven't seen, watch the King of Staten Island. Yeah. Oh, I've seen um, it. And there's uh, they have to fight for their tips, and so every night after close, they move yep. all the chairs and tables out of the way, and they literally have a boxing ring, and they punch the shit out of each other to win tips. And I think that is the coolest fucking thing. Yeah. Like. I would I would love if my shop my bike shop that I work at did that. <laughs> <laughs> Have you thrown it out there to see if you can get a bunch of skinny bike nerds to punch each no, other in but, the face? No, but Roman, I'm coming after you. And Pete Davidson, if you're listening, we want you on the podcast. Yeah, because we know you're sick in the head too, buddy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The thing, I, I, why I hope we can have you on in like another year or so, and you're yeah. going to fully divulge and be like, so what I'm doing to survive and thrive right now with mental illness is creating my own um, bike shop fight club. That's what's going on. <laughs> Sounds great. I'll, 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 I'll make sure to invite you guys. You can't tell uh, probably from this, but I'm not the guy you want to bring into a fight club. I mean, no. I kind of want to watch that, so... Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. yeah, you want to watch it. You don't, you don't want to be on the other end. Yeah. I grew up. I, I'm a big dude. I'm, I'm 240 yeah. pounds, and I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. Um, <laughs> <Good> job, <dude>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here we are, right? You're, you're on the other end of this thing. You're doing everything you can um, to thrive and take care of yourself. If you could go back and revisit yourself five, 10, 15 years ago, your teenage self, whatever time, what would you tell yourself to try to? help that person realize that they're okay, but it's okay to not be okay. So my depression issues have been a problem since I was in fifth grade. Yep. And it's something that you don't really realize as a kid because you just don't know. You just blatantly don't know at all. Um, and it's not something that you realize until like, it's like sexual jokes your parents make when you're a kid that click when you're like 17, you're like, yeah, that's, that's, fucking <laughs> that's what they meant. Yeah. 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 So, hey dad, by the way, that shit isn't funny. Stop saying it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know, in, in realizing that it's, to, yeah, I, it's. It started at a young age. It really did. So if you could go back and tell your 10-year-old self just one piece of advice, one thing, what would you tell him? It gets easier. How does it get easier? You got to come to terms with it. There we go. Yep. You, yep. you got to, and like, you know, after my attempt, it's, 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 
I'm really happy it didn't work out because like I know my family loves me a lot and like I have a lot I have tons of friends like tons of really good friends just through racing and like it's just you know sometimes you don't feel like you want to be around and that happens that's happened to me this week this week I was like you know like shit you know, if I'm not racing and I'm not pursuing my career or anything, maybe it's just worth it. If it's just, I'm not longer around. And, and then that bums me out. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Stop being such a selfish piece of shit, you know? And that doesn't help out at all. And so having, telling something to tell myself five, six, seven years ago is that it gets easier and you're going to regret it if you do. Do you, I, 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 I regret, I, I regret attempting. I do a lot. And like when I told my father, it really, really upset him. Um, so Wyatt though, do you feel like you could have ended up on a path of recovery if you hadn't had your attempt? I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know what type of shoes I'd be in because I wouldn't have moved in with my father more than likely. Um, and that breaks down into a whole nother conversation. I don't know if I want to get into just because of other people listening, if you get what I'm putting down. No, that's fine. And the, um, the important piece there, Wyatt, though, is I. And like, I'm not like trying to shy away from that. Like, I know I told you guys like. No, 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 no. Um, but no. And my point is, my point isn't actually the actual data or what happened in there. But to me, what's important is for people to hear that, unfortunately, like rock bottom has to happen often before we can reach out and to me the most important part is can we realize we're going towards rock bottom before we get to the attempt or because you know the worst case scenario here is eric and i aren't talking to wyatt right now we're trying to tell wyatt's story because your attempt unfortunately wasn't an attempt it was a suicide right right and so when i ask that question i don't I don't necessarily care about the pieces around it, except to recognize that unfortunately that's where you had to go before you were ready to ask for help or find help. So that happened when I was 14. Yes. 14. And it took a long time for me to realize that that's not what I wanted to do. And I needed help. I mean, no, not until, you know, a few months ago. Um, and I'm 23 now, just for those of you that don't know, um, to prevent something like that, it's, if you, if if you're having bad, more, more than two or three bad days in a row, it's time to start seeing somebody because if it's starting to get to a week, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 days, where it's just like, you don't, you feel useless and you don't feel like talking to anybody and you feel like this huge, overwhelming, just like darkness grabbing you from behind, like holding you back. It's, it's not, that's, that's not normal. It's not 100% not normal. Well, and Wyatt, the way you just said that, that darkness grabbing you from the back, that to me is when it's pervasive, right? Like, you know, you're talking about the end, you know, the sort of beginning and end time of like how that works. One of the ways that I think about it and when I knew that I wasn't doing well is that it colored or affected every moment. Like I couldn't, I I felt like I was watching my life happen. I wasn't there. I wasn't present. There was this omnipresent piece and I'm watching Eric nod in the background. um, Right. Yeah. It was, what, what did your Everesting attempt? um, Because obviously that's, that's a huge undertaking, right? What, what did that show you um, as the importance of having a really solid support network around you? Because I remember, you know, when, when your attempt started to go public, it very quickly became viral. Um, And you and I, I know, talked about it briefly about people showing up. And um, so I'm curious, you know, what you learned about that and then what you think that can then that support network can then translate into the mental health space um, as a takeaway, you know, for others and what that might mean for them as they're listening today. Um, that there are a lot more people out there than you think care about you. I didn't think that every single attempt would get that big. I didn't. 
I was laying in bed with Allie when this was coming up and you know, I was trying to make a public Facebook donation page. I was like, how much money should we be asking for? Like, what's a, she's like, fuck it. Let's go for $3,000. I'm like, that seems like a lot of fucking money. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know. I know people that would donate. Like, that's, that's well, to me, three grand, you know, it's like, and it's a lot of money. And I was like, fuck it. Yeah, let's go three grand. And we went three grand and just the amount of momentum it got and the amount of people that showed up. And then Becky, who wanted to donate, I think it was like $10 for every person that showed up. And we yes. ended up raising like an extra $550 or something stupid, ridiculous. Yeah. And the amount of people that showed up, even during COVID, was fucking awesome. And I think at one point there was like a whole peloton riding up Lookout Mountain, pissing off every car that was trying to <laughs> And you know, we raised like $3,600 for go for Graham, which is awesome. And that in itself is due to, this is going to sound like shit, but the, just the influence I have on other people's lives and realizing that I think helps people out or helps an individual out. Like if you realize the impact you have on other people's lives and like the immense amount it is, I think- yep the better off you're going to be and the less likely you're going to attempt something. Well, well and I, and, and I think, yeah. And, and, and just to follow up on that, I think what's, what's so important from that piece and, and, and it's not a selfish thing to say at all. And it's not, it doesn't come across as a shitty thing to say. It's, you know, all those people that came out and all of the people, you know, like me up here, you know, I was following and I donated and, um, you know, we did it not because it was an Everesting challenge and not because, you know, it was like, oh, people wanted to get photos and, and, and just be part of that thing. It was because of, it was because of you, um, and their belief in you as a person and what you stood for in the organization that you were supporting. Um, and it actually became, uh, like a larger than life movement. It wasn't any longer about, you know, is why it going to be able to climb 29,000 right. feet? Like me it not the, doing yeah. it doesn't fucking matter. Me not accomplishing yeah. 29,000 feet and change doesn't fucking matter. No. What matters is we reached our goal and whether I was pissed off because the competitive side of me wanted to reach that 29,000 feet or not, that's okay. It's the, the fact of the matter is, is we raised our goal and it went to a really good fucking cause. And I know that go for Graham is going to do something awesome with it. And like, I chose go for Graham because I don't like big charities. I, I don't like the idea of having this, not knowing exactly where your money is going. Cause I feel like too many people get caught up in that of donating just to donate and then just not really knowing. What do, you, what do you like about that organization and what they do? Share their mission yep. with our listeners, please. They want to shred the stigma. They want to make sure it's okay to do stuff like this. Talk about attempts or feeling like shit or f- like not feeling yourself. They want to make sure that they want to make sure that becomes normal. Um, not only that, but they're related to the cycling world. Um, the people that run it are awesome. Um, I trust a hundred percent worth where every penny was going. Um, so that's the biggest reason why I went with them. Uh, and mental health, mental health and knowing exactly where the money was going. Because and just that bucks is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And tens and twenties too, as you had mentioned. Um, and, <laughs> and, and just that idea of, you know, the support network that you saw come out for you for, for, for doing that challenge. Um, is there anything that any t- major takeaway for you to be able to look at that in your life in general now to see, you know, while there's this great support network out there of people um, who care about me as an individual, not necessarily about what I do. And has that made you more willing um, to talk about your own struggles? Uh, and, and would you tell people who are listening to the podcast today that, it's important to find their own support network, whether it's one or two people or, you know, a, a group of 10 going out for a run or a swim or a bike or whatever right. it might be. Um, man, I, it's, I don't, I still have a really, really hard time talking to people when I'm having an episode is what I call it. 
when I'm yep. feeling down in the dumps, I really have a hard time reaching out to people. Um, you know, last night I saw Allie and she, like, I was super quiet and she, you know, she knew something was wrong with me. She's like, what's going on? I was like, I, I don't know. I really don't like it. I, I wish I did. And I, that's part of the problem. And, and, and like, if something does come up, I'll let you know, but you know, my therapist has been wanting me to try to open up more when exactly I'm having episodes. Cause obviously I don't have a problem talking about it when I'm fine. Yeah. Quote, quote, fine, you know, yeah. but when I'm feeling like a piece of shit, I don't want to talk about it. I don't, I don't want to talk about my feelings. I don't, you know, cause it's, cause then you think something's wrong with it. Right. And I have been trying so hard to work on that. Um, so why do you finding, feel like- oh, finding people that one push you to get that out of you because there is somewhat some sort of healthiness out of that. And two understands that when you tell them enough is enough and they don't want to talk about it and they understand that and they let you do your thing and you know, they still want to be around you. That's where you need to find a support group of people that push you to push yourself and talk about it, but understand that there's a limit to how much you actually want to talk about it. Well, and you started to actually talk about it, but the piece that I wanted to push you into kind of giving us a little depth on is, do you feel like because you become a little bit more vulnerable and transparent that it is, it can be dangerous, right? Because you don't necessarily want people always asking, you know, it's the worst thing. Like you're depressed and someone's like, how are you feeling? And you're like, fucking terrible. Right. Right. Even even if if you're fine and you're having just a bad day because, you know, you got a fucking speeding ticket or you got a parking ticket, you know, you don't want people going, Hey man, you feeling like piece of shit today? And it's no man. Like I'm not like, thanks for asking. Thanks. You know, (laughs) Well, but and, do, you, yeah. do you find that there's been power and a healing part to that because you know those people are actually checking in? Yes, I do. Um, for a few weeks after um, I opened up to my father about, you know, my depression and everything, and fuck, it was annoying as hell, but um, <laughs> he called me probably at least every other day asking how I was doing. Yeah. Um, and to know that he cared and was like, you need to get your shit together. We need to go see somebody, you know, and that helps a lot. Good. Good. Even I'm really though, glad you're, even though really I hate, there. I, I, you know, if my day's done and like I'm in bed and like I'm watching a movie and it's like 10 o'clock at night and you call me, it depends a lot on who calls me. If I'm going to pick up, <laughs> I, I enjoy me time, especially if I'm like with Allie or like my cat or like, Gabe or somebody like I, I try not to be on my phone when I'm with somebody I really care about because yeah. I that pisses me off man like I'm not gonna lie um just like, if you want to hang out with me we're gonna hang out or if not you can go be on your phone by, by yourself at home and yeah. so I try not to do that but you know he he would call me and I would pick up and it, it helped it helps a lot it really does yeah yeah and I found you know I know in when we talked about my story uh, yeah, obviously my wife was and still is a huge part of my support network and a very similar thing. Like we, we kind of start each day. She comes, she wakes up a little later than I do and she comes out into the living room and how you feeling today? And it's not just the conversational, like, Hey, how you doing? But it's that little bit deeper. And, and even, even on the days when I feel like, Oh, this question again, right. Um, just knowing that, there's somebody there and Mark's another one in the network. And I have just people who are, who are aware, like, and, and willing to say, Hey, is everything okay? And even if it's just a quick yuck, doing great and, you know, and move on. Um, it's just, to me, it's comforting to know that those people are there. Yes. To back on that, like Ali will check in every once in a while, like every once in a while, like, couple times a week hey how you doing today you've been doing okay we haven't talked in a couple days you know we don't talk every day um we don't live together um we try not to text each other all the time which i really appreciate because yeah that's just anyway um (laughs) it's what she does it's it's hey you do you've been doing okay i hope you're doing okay you know stuff like that and that that's that's the boundary right there of okay and not okay of being too pushy but not being too pushy you know yep it's a sense of presence, right? Right. Like, it, Knowing you know, somebody's there without being obnoxious about it. Yep. Yep. 
And that they don't need anything from you. And, you know, Eric, one of Eric's favorite sayings right now is it's totally okay to not be okay. But I I was singing about that at least a few times yesterday, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfectly okay. You can, and, and Mark and I have actually seen the same therapist um, at times here in Colorado. Uh, and one of, one of her taglines is it's totally okay to have a pity party. Like yeah. sometimes, sometimes you just need to have that time where it's like, you know what, things aren't great right now. And that's, and, that's okay. I know they'll get better and I'm going to move on from here. So. And I think as the male stigma is, is especially growing up in Wyoming, it's, you're not allowed to cry. You're not allowed to show emotions. You're not allowed to, you know, you know, my family's, heritage is a lot of ranch family you know i grew up my grandmother's a true and you know there's a there's true ranches in wyoming is huge like they have i think eight properties between feed lots and uh ranches and farms and just you know like that having that as a thing where you grew up around and not just me but just as the male stigma in general of you're not allowed to cry or show emotions or feel vulnerable or any of that bullshit is a bunch of fucking hoopla in my opinion. Because cow shit. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's, it's not, that's not normal, and I hate I hate that it is normal. And you know, but why? No. That's why we're here today, right? right? Normal. Honestly, this is gonna make you laugh. I hate the word normal because. There, there is no normal, in my opinion. We all have our norm or what we've accepted about ourselves or the people around us. And there's a piece, you know, I, I grew up in an old school, you know, very, very recent immigrant family, like as old school as old school is. And I chose to become an actor. Like, you know, I was talking about Black Sheep. Like, everyone was like, wow, Mark is weird. Yeah. But... <laughs> Luckily, my parents like knew they're like, hey, like Mark, Mark's a different cat, so to speak. He operates differently. And, you know, they, you know, it was hard for them. I was a huge challenge to them, but they kind of let me find my way. And, you know, they were the first ones to bring me to therapy when I was a seven year old child. They knew. Um, luckily, I was very lucky. My mom and dad knew that I needed help that they couldn't give me. Yeah. Um, but what you speak to, I think, is why we're here today. It's it's shattering that stigma for men, for women, for anyone. And it's also taking away the piece that either makes it mysterious or this or that. Like why hearing you talk about how you don't necessarily enjoy talking about it reminds me, I have a friend who just recovered from cancer and, you know, it's an incredible thing and an incredible journey and she celebrates it, but she's like, I don't want to talk about the fact that I was fucking sick, you know? And, but it's important for us to do that so other people who are sick know that they're sick and that they can do something about it and i love your message your image everything about it and why the thing that i treasure the most is that what you wanted to tell your 10 year old 14 17 20 year old last week self is it gets easier there's work to be done and it can be better and and if there's anything else you'd like to share please do but that's that's the message i want to share with our listeners today yeah, I think the one last thing I have is, you know, I remind myself of this when I'm racing, when it's really fucking hard and fast or it's raining and cold or it's it's no matter what happens, you're going to be in bed tonight and you're going to be warm and you're going to be drinking a beer or eating an edible and you're going to be, life's going to be fucking okay. Like, yeah. like I remind myself that when I'm training or riding and it's pissing rain and it's snowing or the racing sucks. And same thing when I'm having an episode is especially when like, I can't just go home and shelter myself. It's no matter what you do, you're going to be at home tonight with your cat watching who the fuck knows on TV, you know, and it's going to be okay. I love, and I love why that you kind of wrap that, in a in a nice bow because you know thinking again to to rebecca um many many times i'm sure you've gone through this too on the bike you know i'd be staring down at the computer um and the seconds especially in training the seconds would tick by slower and slower and slower 
And, you know, she had a famous saying for me and she's like, you can do anything for a minute. You can do anything for a minute. And, um, and I took that not only from the bike, but I've kind of taken that into my life as well. You know, when things are, when things are getting tough, it's, you know, you can do anything for a minute, you'll get through this. And, and I just wanted to say, you know, uh, you know, thank you again, um, you know, for sharing your story and being so open. And, um, you know, it's, it's been great getting to know you more and more like over the past few weeks. And, um, and, and although, you know, I'm, I'm much, much, much older than you and much slower than you these days. Um, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, to spending some time, uh, on a bike, together as uh, as the weather gets warm so yeah. thank you again for for your time today yeah of course if not let's have another podcast after i get back from holland yes yeah that'd be amazing there, there, yeah that optimism yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, thank you guys so much um wyatt Golkey, thank you so much for joining us today on episode four of from survivor to thriver uh joining us from cheyenne wyoming uh, eric de rosa joining us uh, across brush creek here in snowmass village <laughs> And I'm Mark Fernandes uh, on behalf of everyone. Um, as always, I will sign off with be as well as you can. <laughs>